Man, God is so good today, right? Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, it's been a great week. Everybody enjoy the holiday. Everybody still have all their 10 fingers and 10 toes, at least if you started with them, I guess, you know. I think one of the best things, um, I mean, of course, the best thing about July 4th is our independence, of course. Uh, but the next best thing is all the memes on social media of all the dumb things people do with fireworks. Just saying, it's very entertaining. Um, you know, I'm glad I'm not in those videos. Let's put it that way. But, uh, but yeah, I just, uh, a few quick announcements. Remember, water baptism. Man, it is so good. It is so good. I love being a part of water baptism and just a, it's just an awesome opportunity to be a part of people's stories and what God is doing in their lives and it's incredible. So I would encourage you, anybody else, uh, just like Ali said, um, just, just in a sense declare your faith. Uh, if you haven't been water baptized or you just feel, hey, you know what, I need to leave some stuff in the water, sign up and let God do just amazing things through that. And don't forget, we have Dan Mahler coming this upcoming weekend. It is so incredible. We've been pumping and promoting this for a very, very good reason because we know that it is going to be absolutely life-changing. Um, I believe last that, we, last that I heard, I don't know, it was about a week ago that there was over 150 tickets already sold for gatekeepers. Uh, I'm just gonna say by faith that there's over 200 tickets sold uh, for gatekeepers. So make sure you go out and get your tickets. Men, get your tickets. Wives, if you want your husbands to be different in a good way, go get them tickets to the gatekeeper's breakfast. And uh, just tell them if they're like, no, I'm not going to a church event. Just be like, man, there's going to be like a lot of meat there. Like they have bacon and sausage and sausage gravy and everything else. So, uh, so John and his team never, ever, ever leaves us disappointed, but um, I'm telling you what, we, uh, let's get this thing started off right. I just, I'm so excited for the word today. Man, wasn't worship awesome today? So good. I was just having conversations with God. I was like, God, listen, I, I, listen, I, I need to get through this service today. Um, if anyone was here last week, it was, God was doing some good things, and uh, I know in prepping this message, I just, just getting in his presence, it's like, how can you not, I mean, it, it takes everything within me, even being on stage during worship, it takes everything to try to hold it together to do a job, because man, when you get into God's presence, there's nothing like it, there's nothing like it, and can you imagine for all eternity, being in the full presence of God. Woo! It's gonna be so good. It's gonna be so good. But if I can ask you to stand with me, we have the word of life, confession of faith. Say it like you mean it. Come on, let's say it loud. Jesus, be glorified in my life. Holy Spirit, I welcome your presence. My heart is open to receive the ever-living, never-changing word of God the word that is changing my life, healing my body, and setting me free. My faith is growing, and I am living in the favor of my God. I declare it, I believe it, and I receive it by faith, for I am blessed. Come on. I am blessed. One more. I am blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him a praise. Amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I, uh, man, this is gonna get real today. I brought, I brought paper on stage. Normally, I'm carrying an iPad in it, you know, but it's, it, it, what God has been doing in and through this message and it's just incredible. And I think, and we're gonna get to that part, is because it just, I, I, it speaks so directly to me and what God is doing in my heart, in my life, I just, I wanna get it out and I wanna share it with you. And, and uh, what, God is, what God is downloading to me our heart, my heart, our pastor's hearts here is just to download what God is doing in and through this ministry and get it into you. And uh, I believe this message today and is just, it's, it's so good. It is really, really good. Um, and what I wanna talk to you about today is are God's promises really for me? Are God's promises really for me? Let's say that. Are God's promises really for me. 
Last week, we talked about Joshua and the walls of Jericho and the great victory that they had at Jericho. And in Joshua chapter one, how God told Joshua to be strong and courageous, right? Never afraid or discouraged because he's with them wherever he goes. So he's saying, Joshua, have the courage to conquer. That's what he's saying. He said, have the courage to conquer. And the courage to conquer from last week comes from being in God's presence. It comes from getting God's perspective. And courage to conquer comes from giving God our praise, because the enemy wants to do everything that he can possibly do to keep you out of your promised land. He tried to do it physically with the Israelites through intimidating them, through fear. Uh, but, God, but, but the enemy wants to keep you out of your promised land today. God's very best for your life. That's what he wants to do, and that's, that's his whole goal. And even when we see mighty miracles, even when we see great things happen in our lives, just like the Israelites, even when we see God's hand move, we can still have a tendency to doubt and ask the question, are God's promises really for me? You have Joshua and the Israelites, okay? They had a great victory at Jericho, right? Okay, so they, they went up against these these unbeatable walls at Jericho, and they should have never won. In the natural, there was nothing uh, that they, uh, they certainly did have a good natural military plan. Um, the walls of the city were fortified. They were huge, uh, towering in the air, super, super thick walls. I mean, they would build houses on these walls. They rode chariots. I read uh, in a commentary this week that the walls were possibly so thick that they could have put a baseball field on top of the walls of Jericho. That is a really, really, really thick wall. They should have never, ever, 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 did I say ever? They should have never, ever won that battle. But here's the one difference maker that they had is that God gave them a promise. And when God gives a promise, you need to know this today, when God gives a promise, he can never, ever, 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 did I say never, ever? He can never, ever go against his word. Because God is faithful and he's not faithful to fulfill his promises because of my experiences, okay? You need to know that, that God is not faithful because of my experiences. God is not faithful because of what I think or say. God is faithful because he is God, period. And we need to settle that. And because he's God, he has to be faithful to his promises. Isaiah 55 says this, so also will be the word that I speak. It does not return to me unfulfilled, empty. It does not return to me void, but it will accomplish all that it was sent forth to do. That's God's word. That's what he said. Hey, when I speak it, okay, it's going to happen because it's, it's my words. It's my breath. And when I speak, life comes forth. We see that with creation. We see that all throughout, the, all throughout the Bible. When God speaks, his life comes forth. So if God said it, we can believe it because he is faithful. Again, not because of our experiences, but because he is God. And so you have the Israelites that were entering the promised land. And the Israelites, uh, you know, they, at least in the wilderness, they heard about the, the generation going into the promised land, at least heard about the parting of the Red Sea. But some of them, actually, they were below the fighting age uh, coming out of Egypt. So they did not pass away in the wilderness. They were not part of that generation. But there were kids that came across the Red Sea that were still now, that have grown up, that have spent 40 years in the wilderness. And now, you know, they knew, they actually experienced God's goodness. They, they saw, they walked across the dry ground of the Red Sea. And even if they didn't personally experience it, they heard about it. And, and even with that, God continued to provide his supernatural hand to the Israelites all throughout the wilderness. He, uh, supernatural things like there was a cloud by day and there was a pillar of fire by night, right? That even in the natural that, that God covered them in the heat and in the weather and the hot sun with shade everywhere that they went. 
God covered them is, is it can get very cold at night, especially in the desert, it can get very cold, that God just provided natural warmth and natural heat. That's just in the natural. And imagine the fact that you are there and you see God's covering over you every single day as you walk through the daytime. And at night, can you imagine what God's pillar of fire would have looked like? I mean, I love fires. I love bonfires. The bigger the fire, the better. Man, you can roast so many marshmallows. And a few eyebrows. But can you imagine what, what God's pillar of fire would have looked like? And saying, look, guys, my presence is with you. My presence is with you. But supernatural things like their clothes and their shoes never wore out. They had a supernatural supply of food, right? They had this supernatural supply of food. And if you think about it, the only reason they, they were even in this journey in the wilderness, the only reason, there was an 11-day journey that, that ended up taking them 40 years. The only reason that they were there was because of the words that they spoke, is that they complained to God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt just to die in this wilderness? Like, they were just complainers. They were murmurers. And I'm thinking, you just saw the Red Sea. Like, you were walking through on dry ground, like, waving, waving the Nemo. You know what I mean? And it's like, hey, like, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the miracle of that? And then seeing your enemy drown in that sea when God supernaturally closed it. I'm talking like, what a victory. And then they come out and they say, God, did you just bring us here to kill us in the wilderness? It's like, I'm, I'm like, you serious? Like, really? And so God said to him, it's like, hey, look, life and death is in the power of tongue. It's a principle. So be unto you as you have said. That's what God said. Hey, look, you want it? Here, you can have it. Be unto you as you have said. And I thought about that. And I believe the Holy Spirit dropped this in my heart. I think about, you know, Mary, Jesus' mom. Okay, uh, so, so you have the Israelites that, that a challenging report came back. There were giants in the land. It was, a, it was, in a sense, a challenging journey. All right? And they whined and they complained. And God's like, all right, that's what you want here. Stay in the wilderness. Think about, think about Mary. An angel of the Lord shows up. That right there will just make you wet yourself. All right? An angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, Mary, okay, a teenage girl, like you're going to give birth to the son of God. <laughs> what? Like we make it like real nice and cute and we put it in. We put it in like cartoons, like the star. Like it's like, oh man, this is nice. Can you imagine that moment? An angel shows up and it's like, hey, you're gonna give birth. Can you imagine the challenging report that that was? The giants that she was going to have to face. The difficult journey that she was gonna have to face. But unlike the Israelites that spoke death and, and God said to them, be unto you as you have said, she humbled herself. She surrendered to God. She agreed with God's word. And she said, be unto me as you have said. And when their words brought forth death, her agreement with God brought forth life. Because it's God's principle. Hebrews 4 says that, that his word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The passion says a two-mouthed sword. That God speaks and we come in agreement with his word and then we speak. That's why there is power in our words. But the opposite is also true. So our words can either be full of life because they are connected to the kingdom or they can be separated from the father and separated from him there is no life. And so our words will either bring forth life or they'll bring forth death. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, the words that we say. It's, it's a principle. Man, Allie and I, we're very adamant about that with our kids. I mean, it, it is speak life, speak kingdom over your circumstances and situations. So you have these wilderness kids, okay, that, that grew up and they saw the hand of God 
the whole time in the wilderness. It was, it was absolutely supernatural, but you have to realize that they also lived in somewhat of like a toxic culture because there was a, an entire generation that didn't believe that murmured and complained, and you know, probably through some relatives, that there's just people that just always constantly murmur and complain. That's why so many of us just are like, oh man, another family gathering. Like I gotta, I gotta go to another Christmas lunch with those people. But imagine being stuck in the wilderness with them for 40 years. Like you can't leave, you can't go anywhere. Good luck with that one. You can at least check out early at like a family dinner, but you know what? Like there's really no excuses you can give when you're just stuck in the wilderness. And I think about that, there's this toxic environment and little did the generation before them know that they were planting these seeds for weeds. They were planting this negative, toxic culture that I don't think they necessarily realized and understood, but they were planting through their murmuring and complaining, they were planting those seeds. They were, they were planting seeds of fear. They were planting seeds of doubt. They were planting seeds of worry. They were planting those things. And see, I believe that God knew exactly. I mean, I know God knew exactly what was going on. I know that he knew exactly the seeds that were planted in them. And that's why he told Joshua, like, look, okay, like everybody of the previous generation is gone. Like now you're going in, but be strong and courageous. Never afraid or discouraged. Why? Because I am with you. Be strong and courageous. Do not allow the seeds of fear and doubt and worry and insecurity to, to be birthed in your life. But take those thoughts captive, rip them out, and move forth in the courage to conquer. That's what he told them. And then he said, look, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses and he said, and I'm going to prove it to the people. I'm going to let them know because I know that these seeds for weeds are there. I know that the enemy is going to want to bring up that discouragement, is going to want to bring up the murmuring, is going to want to bring up the complaining. And so what I'm going to do is that I'm going to do another mighty miracle. When the priests step their foot in the water of the Jordan River, I'm going to part the water supernaturally again like I did at the Red Sea. And I'm going to show you that I am with you and that I am for you. And so, so the priests step in, the waters part, and I'm thinking like God's probably standing up there being like, look, like, hey, I am with you. I cannot stress this enough. Hey, guys, if this wasn't enough evidence, I am with you. I think there was enough evidence that God gave that he was with them. But God also knew people. He knows you. He knows me. He knows our system. He knows that any area that is not renewed to his word is going to have a little bit of trouble. He knows it. And so even when the people now stepped up and it's like, look, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm all, a lot of negative seeds have been planted, but listen, I am planting good seeds. I am showing you. And then the people, uh, the Israelites, the warriors step up to Jericho. And I can imagine that that would have been a very, very difficult thing standing at this fortified city. And you're like, in the natural, there is no chance. There's not even a crack in the foundation that I can maybe run over and try to kick and make it fall. I mean, there is nothing to make this thing go down. And so they step up to the walls of Jericho. And as we talked about last week, it's like, look, here's the battle plan. You're going to walk around the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. Well, I did a little bit of math. Because when you're locked in an office all week, this is what you do. You figure things like this out. Okay, you ready? So they marched around the city of Jericho for six days in silence and seven times on the seventh day. That's 43 laps. Okay, that's 43 laps, and, and theologians believe that it was approximately four miles around the city. Okay, so, so at 43 laps, at four miles per lap, that's 172 miles. And per Google, it is 15 to 22 minutes per mile walking. All right? Some of you may be like superhumans and walk a little bit faster. Good for you. All right? Some of us say, hey, listen, like I took as long as I possibly could in gym class because why? Why go any faster? Let's do, let's, let's try to break the record for the slowest mile. Okay, let's just try it. See what happens. 
okay? And so here they are, but I'm gonna give them a good solid because it's like, hey, you know what? These guys were professional walkers, but they didn't have like dry fit and like cloud foam shoes. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give them a good solid 20 minutes for math's sake. So a good solid 20 minute mile. Okay, so here they, they come in at 20 minute, 20 minute mile, at 172 miles, again at 20 minutes, it's 3,440 minutes. So they spent around 57 hours and 22 minutes walking around Jericho in silence because God knew that the evidence before that wasn't enough and he had to deal with some more stuff. So they spent 57 hours and 22 minutes walking around the city in silence. But I thought that this was fascinating because in Numbers 13, which is before Joshua, Okay, that there was, there was a command given for a celebration, a command given to Moses for a celebration when they came into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, uh, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the land sworn to your ancestors. He would give you this land flowing with milk and honey. But verse six in Numbers 13 says, for seven days, I thought this was so good, for seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast. Then on the seventh day, celebrate a feast in the Lord. The people marched around Jericho for seven days, and on the seventh day, there was a celebration, wasn't there? So eat bread without yeast during those seven days. In fact, there will be no yeast, bread, or any yeast at all found within the borders of your land during this time. God knew that there was yeast in the camp, and you're like, what in the world? I didn't think that they were eating dinner. I thought that they were walking around the city. Exactly, they were walking around the city, and God gave them a command not to have any yeast in the camp. What is yeast? If you look at the Pharisees, it is hypocrisy. It is spiritual pride. It is self-righteousness. And as I said last week, God was dealing with this yeast in the camp. God was winning the battle in here in their minds so that he could win the battle out here. That's what he was doing. He had to remove the yeast that was in the camp so they could walk in with a pure heart. And so here they are right before the walls came down and Joshua, Joshua gives Three instructions, very clear instructions. You know, I could have seen if for some reason it didn't make it into the Bible because it was like, well, nobody heard you. But no, 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 it made it into the Bible. I mean, these were very, very clear instructions. Some of them were actually given prior to this by Moses. But, but here Joshua is reiterating three things that the Israelites needed to do. That's why preachers often preach in three points because it's like, hey, it's simple. It's like the Trinity, you'll remember it. Okay, so it's like, look, I don't want to make this too complicated by having like 92 points. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three points. You're going to spare Rahab. All right, you're going to take no prisoners. You're literally just going to kill everything and everyone. And all the treasure is devoted to God and it goes in his treasury. Like all the treasure of Jericho. He just made it specific for Jericho. So spare Rahab. Take no prisoners, all the treasure is God's. Spare Rahab, take no prisoners, all the treasure is God's. Joshua's shouting this out. Spare Rahab, take no prisoners, all the treasure is God's. Come on, let's do it. See, it's not rocket science. Like, simple. See, three points. It's, it's simple. Like, but you always have that one guy. Right, like that, that one guy, you know, just, just nudge your neighbor and say like, there's always that one guy. Now, if you got nudged a little bit harder, you're probably that one guy, all right? So you have this one guy and we'll learn that you have this one guy who violated God's command and his name was Achan, all right? So God spared Rahab. Why did God spare Rahab? Because she changed allegiance, she said, I no longer want to serve these pagan gods. I no longer want to idol worship. I want to change allegiance. I want to join your team. That's what I want to do. I want to serve your God, the one true God. This is what I want to do. Listen, the people of Jericho, Jericho knew all about the God of the Israelites. They had 40 years to think about this from when they marched across the Red Sea to where they showed up at their doorstep. They had 40 years to think about this. 
And Rahab was like, listen, whenever they show up, I'm going with them. My heart's for them. And that's why she spared the spies. And that's why she was spared. And she actually became part of the lineage of King David. It's absolutely incredible. God's restoration, God's plan. But because she was like, listen, I'm out. I'm no longer following my old ways. God, I'm going your way. But the rest of the city did not. They hardened their hearts. They wanted nothing to do with the one true God. And they were like, look, we're gonna stand and we're gonna fight you. That's what we're gonna do. Because they, they trusted in their pagan gods. They trusted in idol worship. That's why God said, hey, listen, take no prisoners. Because we do not want anyone to defile God's people. Like my people, my people are pure. We don't want anything going on because these people are evil, absolutely evil. I mean, the, 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 the idols and the, the pagan gods that they worship. I mean, you know, they, would, they, would, they were some of the... Some of the, the tribes in a sense the uh the nations that were in there i mean they were cannibals they were they offered human sacrifices i mean the sexual perversion was just off the chain it was absolutely and god's like look like we cannot have any of that they have they have chosen not me just like the israelites spoke and god said be unto you as you have said listen these people harden their hearts against god and god's like hey my, my hands are tied Rahab repented and followed God. The rest of the city said, God, I want nothing to do with you. And so he said, take no prisoners. And then he said something that was so key and it was repeated earlier. And Joshua reiterated it when he said, all the treasure of this, of Jericho, the first city goes to God. It's devoted to God. And that is so important that God required the treasure. Why? And I'm gonna hit this hard today because it was the first fruits. Why was it so important? Because it was worship. It wasn't just bringing just the, just the, the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron as God. It wasn't, it wasn't just for, to bring materials and, and these resources and these treasures into the kingdom so God can sit there and be like, hey, look at me, I'm high and mighty. Look at all the stuff that I have. No, 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 no. It was worship and why is that so important because we become what we worship that's so huge we become what we worship and what people worship they resemble look at the people in these pagan nations they resembled their gods and it was evil human sacrifices cannibalism the the evil and the perversion that was in these lands. Why? Because those were the gods that they worshiped. And we become what we worship and it's either going to be for ruin and destruction or it's gonna be for restoration in God's glory. And so that's why the first fruits were so important. Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He said, throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful for his kindness. Instead, they entertained corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. They left them with nothing but misguided hearts. This left them with that, steeped in moral darkness. And get this, although claiming to be wise, they were in fact shallow fools. For only a fool would trade the unfading splendor of the immortal God to worship the fading image of other humans, idols, made to look like people, animals, birds, and even creeping reptiles. Paul is speaking to them, and he's describing this pagan and this idol worship, and he's saying that pagan idol worship is a twisted version of reality. It's an act of God replacement. It's removing God from it. And God, I'm going to replace you. This is exactly what the Israelites did with Moses. When they started making this idol, they started making this golden calf and Moses came down. It's like, what are you doing? You cannot replace God. He will not stand for it. 
But see, idol, idol and pagan worship, it's an act of God replacement. But see, here's what it does, is it's now an unnatural act toward the creator. And when, when people fall into pagan and idol worship, it then, it then leads to unnatural characteristics in their lives. What do I mean by that? Characteristics that go against our created design. So these pagan, these idol worshipers, now their lives were displaying unnatural characteristics. They were displaying characteristics against God's created design for people. It was a distortion of God's perfect design. And Paul here, specifically in Romans, was talking about sexual perversion. He went on to talk about a lot of vile things that these people were doing. A lot of vile things. But why was it so distorted? He says in verse 25, all because they traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God made rather than the God who made all things. Culture today. Culture today. The same exact thing. Think about it, like in the Bible, you had Ashtoreth, these, these, these pagan gods, Ashtoreth and Baal, and uh, you, you had certain gods that were one gender in the morning and one gender in the evening. Listen, guys, there's nothing new under the sun. The same idols are being, being worshiped today, and they've just renamed these idols pride. And then we wonder why, you know, people wonder and they look and they see how destructive their lives are and they see how fallen apart and the chaos and the confusion and the unnatural characteristics that are there. They, they, they are wondering why that, that there is such an in, in, internal turmoil happening inside. Why? Why is there such chaos? It's because unnatural worship leads to distortion and unnatural characteristics. Why? Why is culture and society the way that it is today? All because they traded the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the things that God made to be pure and holy and righteous in his design. And they worshiped those things rather than him. They made those things matter more than the one who matters most. Still happening in culture today. And these people were becoming these things and then Paul goes on to write in 2 Corinthians, it's like, look, that's why God, that's why God had a plan. And, and, and look at it, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, for God made the only one who did not know sin, he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to become sin. These other people had become so vile and distorted and their lives were in chaos and turmoil. They had become those things because of the gods that they worshipped. And God's saying, look, I know what you've become. I see it. So I'm going to send my one and only son, the one who knows no sin, to become the very thing that you become. Distorted, chaos, turmoil, all the unnatural characteristics and everything that you've done, it's called sin. And I'm going to send my one and only perfect son to become the very thing that you become because you've distorted your worship. And I'm going to exchange it so that we can become, it goes on to say, so that we might become, that he becomes the distortion and the chaos and in the destruction so that we can become the righteousness of God through Christ, the great exchange. He became so that we could become. And see, when we worship God, when we put our trust and our hope in Christ, when we live in life union with Jesus, we now become the very thing that we were always created to be. What is that? Righteous and holy, created in God's very image, being born again. When people say, well, I was just born this way, that's why God said you need to be born again. Right? 
Yeah, you need to be born again. Why? Because, because my image was distorted when, when, when Adam brought sin into this world. Now we are born into sin with Adam's nature. No longer God's image, but with Adam's image. And now we need to be reborn back to our original design. God breathed his spirit inside of us. What? With God's image on the inside of us. Do you realize what you carry today and who you carry today? Being a Christian is so much more than just going to church and hanging out and singing some songs. You carry the very life of God, his spirit. You are the image of God. Man. And that's why he's saying, look, I need to send my son to become so that now you can return and become again, be born again into my image. That's so good. So now you have Jericho, okay, which was an idol-worshiping city. And God knew as they were coming into this land that these people were worshiping the wrong things. These people were idolizing and with idol and pagan worship. And he's saying, this is what I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna send Moses up and we're gonna write some things in, some, in, some, in stone, okay? Uh, and I'm gonna do something so supernatural. I'm gonna give you these tablets of stone with my, with my commandments written on them. And the very first commandment, you will have no other gods before me, right? The 10 commandments, the very first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me. And, and because they, I believe they were coming in, there was just pagan worship all around them. The world had just now had just been so distorted again. And evil had just, just taken over the world. They're just like, look, I'm not going to leave anything to chance. Rule number two, I'm like, listen, no idols. Have no other gods before me. That's And just so that there's no chance, I'm just going to do it. Listen, 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 listen. Don't even make any idols. Don't even give yourself a chance to worship something else. Why? Because who you worship and what you worship is who and what you trust. And these pagan nations worship their false gods. And you say, man, they were absolutely terrible. We do the same exact things today. We worship the little G gods and the idols of money. And we worship jobs and we worship relationships. And some of us get so wrapped up even in internal things. And we worship, we worship in a sense the idols of fear and, and insecurity. We, we, we worship the idols of depression. And they almost somewhat become somewhat of a security to us. Even though it's so distorted and unnatural and so far against God's original design. But we come in and, and we allow ourselves to be wrapped up and for our worship to go in every other direction. And then we wonder why things aren't working. It's because our lives are unnatural and broken and in chaos and distorted because we are worshiping the wrong thing. Jesus knew this and he, he, he talked about this in, in Matthew 6. He's saying, look here, he's like, so then forsake your worries. Don't worship your worries. And he said, why would you say, what will you eat or what will you drink or, or, or what will we wear? Don't worship these things. You gotta realize these, these pagan gods, that they were the gods of all of these individual things, of the sun, the moon, the stars, the harvest, the rain, the, the wind, you know, fertility, all this other kind of stuff. It was like one of those things, it was, like, it was like, look, don't worry about all of those things. Don't worship all of those little gods. Here's the deal, because that is what, in verse 32, that is what the unbelievers chase after. That is what the unbelievers worship. That's what they worship. Don't you trust your heavenly father enough to know that he knows what you need? And so he says this in verse 33, and we know this. So above all else, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Do not put your trust in all of these other little G gods and all of these idols. Don't worship the God of money and the God of finances, the God of, the God of relationships and the God of, uh, of your job and the God of your hobby. Don't worship all those other gods. Worship the one true God. And when you seek him first in his righteousness, then all of these lesser things will be added unto you. Jesus was making it very clear. He was very concise with this. And, you're like, and the reason why, and I'm thinking this is so, 
huge in my heart. I'm like, why are you hitting this so hard? It's because our worship dictates the entire direction and course of our lives. Our worship, our affection dictates our direction and our worship, we're going to worship something in our lives and it's, it's aimed in some trajectory. Like it's going somewhere and it's either gonna head for ruin or it's gonna head for restoration. It's either gonna head for destruction or it's gonna head for his glory. That's what's gonna happen. We're gonna worship something because we were designed that way. But when, but when we are not focused and fixed on God and on worshiping him, our worship is just gonna be scattered. And our lives are gonna be scattered. And see, when our worship is directed toward all of these wrong gods, the little g gods, when we worship all of these other idols, it distorts everything. And see, we'll never then trust in the promises of the one true God, our heavenly father. We'll never then trust. Let, let, me, let me tell you why. Because this is what we do. is because we are transformed by the renewing of our mind to what? His word. The way, what God says. What God speaks over us. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind to his word. But the opposite is also true. That we can reprogram our mind to the things, the carnal thinking of this world. Okay? So when we put our trust and our hope in, in the God of money and the God of um, seeking after the, the God of jobs, you know, like I gotta get a better job, I gotta get this, I gotta get that. And we're trying to do things in our own strengths when, it's, when we're seeking uh, after, in a sense, this idol, this, this pagan God of relationships and, and all of these things that we, can, that we can worship and go after and put our time, our energy, our attention, our passionate desire and our love toward. We can do those things when we put it into the, you know, the God of money and, and, and the God of these things, when we do it, see what happens is because those little G gods will never sustain you. And what you do in your own strength, you always have to continue to, to in a sense sustain in your own strength. But when it's in his strength, he'll sustain it. But when we do things in our strength, when we worship all the little G gods, we come over here and we'll see that realize that money will never, money is a terrible master. It is a terrible master. It will never sustain you. It'll just bury you further and further and further. It's a great toll, but a terrible master. And so when we serve the God of money, when we serve the God of relationships, when we serve this God, when we serve that God, then what happens, because money will never succeed. Jobs in their own right will never succeed. This over here will never succeed. And we say, well, this God failed me, and this God failed me, and this God failed me, and this God failed me. See what it's doing? It's reprogramming your mind, and then you step up to God's promises. It's like, well, you're probably gonna fail me too. So we can either be transformed and renewed, transformed, made new, by the renewing of our mind to God's word, or we can be reprogrammed to live in failure and carnality. And like I said, it, it, it will train us, say, well, this God failed and this God failed and this God failed, God, you're probably gonna fail me too. That is why the first fruits of Jericho, that is why the first fruits in life are so absolutely important because all of those other gods do not come with a promise, they come with a curse. Only, only Father God comes with a promise of life. And the first fruits were so important. The Hebrew word for first fruits is actually bikram. And it means promise to come. Like I said, when we serve every other God, it's just a curse. But bikram, when we, when we bring God our first fruits, it's promise to come. See, the Israelites saw the first fruits as an investment into their future. God told them if, if they would bring in the first fruits, then everything afterwards would be blessed. Everything afterwards will be blessed. He spoke that over his people. Everything afterwards will be blessed. And that's why Malachi 3, God spoke this. And this is, this is why we tithe financially. And I believe that it goes beyond that. Our time, our energy, our resource. I believe that we just owe God first fruits, period. But often we hang so tight and so close and we worship the God of money the most. And that's why there's, there's often, often an emphasis on it. Got real quiet in here. 
Malachi 3 talks about this. It says, bring all the tithes into the, into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And get this, it says, if you do, if you bring me the first fruits, if you bring me your worship in your life, in everything that you do, if you bring me the first fruits of your finances, of your family, of your time and your energy, if you bring me the first fruits, is God says that I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you will not have enough room to take it in. I would guarantee in this room that there is not a single person that's saying, God, can you just shut off the flow? God, I got so much blessing in my life. You're like, you've just opened the window so much. God, will you just shut it off? Like my barn can't hold it anymore. Yeah, right. I think what's so beautiful about God is God says, hey, when your barn's full, I'm gonna expand your barn. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. Because when you're faithful in the little, He'll make you roll over much. He'll expand you and he'll keep expanding you and he'll keep expanding you and he'll keep expanding you so that you can continue to hold more and more and more and more of his blessing. So he said, if you do this, look, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. And he said, if you don't believe me, try it. If you don't believe that I will open the windows of heaven and pour out into your life when you bring me the first fruits, when you worship me with your life and in everything a part of your life, if you don't, if you don't believe it, try it and put me to the test. Why? Because I am faithful and I can never go back on my word. Man. So the first fruit offering then, when you look at it in that light, it's no longer an obligation, but it's an opportunity to love and to pour out and express our love and our devotion and our trust. It is no longer an obligation where we come, oh man, I gotta do this again. No, it's like, God, I get to worship you today. God, I get to pour out my affection on you today. God, I get, I get, to, I get to pour everything that I am, everything in my life, I get to worship you with it. I get to pour it out to you. Because you are faithful. You are always more than enough. Man, God, I surrender it to you. And I know that when I surrender it to you, I don't have to worry about anything. But God, you are faithful to show up in every single circumstance in my life. No matter how bright, no matter how dark the valley, man, God, you are with me wherever I go when I bring you the first fruits. And God wanted the first fruits of Jericho because God wants the first fruits in your life and in my life because we become what we worship. It's, that's huge. So you have Jericho now. His, his men defeat Jericho. Like, so you have Joshua and his men defeat Jericho. They immediately lose to a small city called Ai which they should have never lost to. And God, in a sense, reveals to Joshua that there's sin in the camp and that this man Achan violated the command to bring the first fruits. He violated the command to worship. So Achan gets called out. He's not even remorseful, but he's just, he's just kind of bummed that he got caught. It shows what his heart worshiped. And so in Joshua 7, he, Achan says, it's like, it's true. I've sinned against God and uh, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. I, I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment and, a, and a, a robe, a royal robe, possibly the king's robe, 200 pieces of silver and a 50 shekel bar of gold. I coveted them and I took them. What's wild is because the word here for covet is actually hamad in the Hebrew, and it's the same exact thing that Eve did in the garden. Eve coveted and it brought death and destruction. Achan coveted, gave his worship elsewhere and it brought destruction and not only killed some soldiers and some Israelites, which should have never happened, but it, but it ultimately brought death to him and his entire family. Why? Because anything outside of our worship to God has no life. 
And there was zero reason for Achan to even covet any of these things because when the Israelites came out of Egypt, God blessed them with all of these things. It says that in Exodus 12, that, that the Egyptian, Egyptians blessed them with fine clothing, garments, robes, royal robes and articles of silver and gold. They stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. They stripped them of their wealth. In Exodus 12, that they, they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth and God gave them silver, gold, and royal covering. Get that. Gave them royal covering. Royal covering. So God not only brought them out saying that, listen, I'm giving you silver, gold, and natural clothing, but I'm giving you silver and gold and I am giving you royal covering. He said, I will not only provide for your physical needs, but I'm giving, you a, I'm giving you a royal covering symbolizing my covering is over you. That the Father's love and his favor is over you. The royal covering is over you. That, that my destiny will be fulfilled in your life. Bikaram, that the promise is to come. I will fulfill my promise in your life. And ultimately, the biggest thing that, that God gave them, these natural royal robes to symbolize their identity and their sonship. Their place is God's people. And here's the deal. Achan saw the robe. Oh, man, this messes with me. Achan saw the robe, and he saw the gold and the silver, and he coveted it. He had a passion and a desire, and the silver and gold was one thing. But here's what gets me, is that he took the robe. He took the royal robe. He took the royal covering because he was saying to God, God, all throughout the wilderness, I never believed your covering on my life. I never believed it, that I felt that I had to go and I had to find another covering over me, that I never believed that I was your son and I never believed you, God, that you would father me. Whew. And here's why it gets me. So I'm preparing this and I'm just crying in worship because how many times am I aching? How many times do I come to my father and I disregard his covering and I send my worship elsewhere? You wonder why I can just sit here and worship in God's presence? I could have cried all last week. I wouldn't have cared. Because my father is so good. He is so good. And his love and his goodness is for me and for you today. And he wants to cover you today. He's saying, don't send your worship elsewhere. Don't even allow your eyes to wander, but be fixed on me. Be fixed on me because my promise is true. I am faithful today. Do not go out seeking another covering over your life. You are my son. You are my daughter. And you belong to me and I will father you. Our God's promise is really for me. This is what it goes on to say in Joshua 21. It says, so Yahweh give Israel all the land he had promised their ancestors. They took possession of the land and settled there. It says, Yahweh kept his promise and gave them rest on every side. Some of you need that rest today. You've been fighting on every side because your worship has been scattered, so your life has been scattered. And you're wondering why God's promises aren't working in your life. And God promises that I will give you rest on every side. Not one of their enemies could stand against them. Yahweh did not break a single promise that he had made to the people of Israel. He faithfully kept every single promise he had made. I don't know what promise you need today. If you wouldn't mind standing to your feet, I wanna speak life over you, but I don't know what promise you need today, but I'm telling you, do not fix your eyes On the, on the pagan gods and the idols around you. Fix your eyes on your father. Allow your eyes to stare into the eyes 
of Jesus and see the fire of his love burning so bright for you. I don't know what promise you need today. I don't know what battle you've been fighting. I don't know the struggles that you came in, but I know that God loves you today. And when we ask the question, are his promises, are God's promises really for me? Yeah, you better believe they are. You better believe they are. And I know we're at time, but I just wanna speak some promises over you. Because I believe that some of us in here today have been struggling and wondering if God's promises are for you. If you would just close your eyes for a minute and allow Holy Spirit to minister to you. There are scriptures that go with all of these and I, for time's sake, I'm not gonna read them all. But I just wanna speak his promises over your life today, regardless of what you need. And this is only 10 and there's over 3,000 in the Bible. Go find them. But Ephesians 3, God promises to give you strength. Matthew 11, God promises to give you rest. Philippians 4, God promises to take care of all of your needs. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Matthew 7, God promises to answer your prayers. And it will be given to you. Seek, you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. Romans 8, God promises to work everything out for your good. Joshua 1, God's promises, he promises to be with you. Psalm 91, God promises to protect you. This I declare about the Lord, he alone is my refuge, my place of safety, he is my God and I trust him alone. 1 John 1 and John 8, God promises freedom from sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all wickedness. And if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Romans 8, God promises that nothing can separate you from him. In John 3, 16, God promises you everlasting life. For God so loved the world, God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal everlasting life. He became sin who knew no sin so that you could become the righteousness of God, so that you could have the very image of God put back inside of you. And now you are called holy, you are called righteous, you are called redeemed, you are called son. And because of that identity, he promises that he will father you in every circumstance, in every situation. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray regardless of the burden and the struggle and the circumstance, man, I will say today, how many times am I like Achan? And I wonder and I doubt if your promises are for me. Father, settle it in my heart today that you are for me, that you are never against me. And that you've spoken your word over my life, over, over your people today. And your word will not return void, but it will accomplish all that it was set forth to do. So I declare your life. I declare your goodness. I declare your faithfulness to be known and seen in each and every heart in this room, on our online family. Everyone who listens to this in a future time, Father, I just speak your life, your presence to be on it. And I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for your promises today.
thank you for your promises today. Just take a quick minute and just say thank you for your promises today. Whatever that promise is, he is faithful and you can find it in his word. Find his promise today. Settle it in your heart. Say, Father, thank you for your promises over my life today. God, and I pray for testimonies of these promises coming to pass. Quickly, Father, quickly, quickly, quickly. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. I could just sit here all day and just rest in that moment, but I need to let you go. (laughs) I need to let you go. But God is faithful. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. And because of that, we have victory in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is so good. Well, we love to give a shout of victory on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.